0: And that's where I finally saw that a lot of his problems came from not understanding the setting. It's more than time and place, which is what we kind of use for our younger clients, just the time and the place. But as your text gets more sophisticated, here's a definition I love. Setting is an environment or surrounding in which an event or story takes place. Social conditions, historical time, geographical locations, weather, immediate surroundings, and timing are all different aspects of setting. Welcome to the Mindful SLP, the show that explores simple but powerful therapy techniques for optimal outcomes. I'm Denise Stratton, a pediatric speech-language pathologist of 30 years. I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning, and along the way, I've worked long and hard to become a better therapist. Join me, and I'll do my best to make your journey smoother. I found the best therapy comes from employing simple techniques with a generous helping of mindfulness. Joining me in the conversation is Dan, my technical wizard and office manager.
1: Before we started recording today, I noticed the title of today's show, Narrative Intervention with Young Adults, and was joking about how June must be Intervention Month, and Denise said, every speech therapy is an intervention. Okay. I know the rest of our listeners are probably going, yeah, duh, Dan, speech therapy is intervention, but I didn't get that. So, Denise, what is the intervention of the week?
0: Since last week's episode was on early intervention, I thought I'd go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about a young adult client I had.
1: Tell us about this client.
0: He was in his early 20s when he first came to our clinic. He had been adopted from Russia when he was around eight or nine years old, and he probably didn't have much opportunity for learning while he was in the orphanage there. He had a diagnosis of dyslexia and also some ADHD. He wanted to improve his uh, communication skills so that he could go to college. That was his goal. And uh, that point, his ability to decode when he read was really pretty good, thanks to his mom, who'd worked with him a lot. But his comprehension was still poor. So his mom called me and wanted to know if I could help. And I was like, sure, I can do that. I'll do narrative language, because narrative intervention fixes everything. <laughs> so she said, let me get back to you. I gave her some places to go to check out narrative language. She called me back and says, I think that would work. It sounds really organic to me. So what she meant by organic was what Doug Peterson meant when he talked about Contextualize, teaching something in context. Back when we had our Story Champs interview with Doug Peterson, he talked about narrative intervention being so effective because you don't decontextualize it. You don't take a skill out and teach it separate from something else. You're teaching it in a story.
1: Right. And for those who want to listen to that interview, that is episodes 23 and 24.
0: So basically, I thought I can use something like Story Champs and even teach a young adult client how to comprehend
1: stories. So, once you actually met with this young man, was it going exactly as you expected? No. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it today. I had
0: a hard time finding the right intervention level. and, And where were the gaps happening? That was my challenge.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, he pretty easily understood the basic story grammar format for an advanced story. So let me tell you what an advanced story has. That has complications. So in addition to our character, our setting, our problem, the feeling, the action, and the resolution, you throw in a complication right after that first action to solve a problem because it didn't work. Whatever problem the character has and they tried to solve it, it didn't work the first time. And also you've got words, I call them plan words, or another word for them is mental verbs, which sounds really strange, but you've got an internal process going on in your head, right? When you know something, you remember something, you think something. That Mm -hmm. brings the whole level of a narrative up a notch. Right. So I like to explain it um, using J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter books. She wrote seven books Mm -hmm. all about solving one main problem, defeating Voldemort, right? right? There was just complication after complication after complication and a lot of events happening around all those complications.
1: These mental verbs, as you call them, how do you teach those?
0: I have a little format I like to use with my clients. I'll take them through, say, a movie that they've loved and they've enjoyed. And I talk about an emotion, a cause and effect word, and a mental verb in a sentence. So, for example, I might say, Harry felt angry. That's angry is the emotion word because, that's the cause and effect word, he knew that's your mental verb. Uncle Dursley was keeping his letters from him. Okay. So that's how you kind of work all that in. You know, a character feels something because of something, and, and you explain that by using the mental verb. Um, and here's another one from the very first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. You could talk about how Black Widow saved Hawkeye. Right. Well, why'd she do that? Because she knew that he was being controlled by Loki, and she still liked him. She still valued him. Right. And so you can get into some deeper themes by explaining why a character acts a certain way because of what they know internally, what they remember.
1: But you're saying none of this was a problem for him.
0: Yeah, right. Um, So he could retell a whole movie plot using this advanced structure, like if it was Star Wars or something like that. And he could decode text at a pretty high level. But he didn't comprehend high school text, so something was missing there.
1: Um, okay, so there's a big difference between a, a visual movie plot and something that's written, and that's where he was getting tripped up. And yeah, that makes sense. What'd you do? How did you work with him to get that comprehension up?
0: Uh, honestly, I was still fooling my way when he came to the next session, so our second session, and whatever I had planned, I just threw it out the window because he said, "I gotta have help with this paper." Okay. Uh, so he was going to a technical school and he needed to write a paper about why he chose the filth he was going to go into. And it turns out he had written a lot of words that said very little. It wasn't the way he talked. When he talked, his expressive language was pretty good. He didn't really talk in circles, but his writing was, was kind of a mess. He didn't understand how to use prepositions such as at, for, with. Uh, he used words like however and also, but just kind of thrown in, not where they really belonged. Um, so he needed to r- learn to write more like he talked. There's this quote I heard on a micro podcast.
1: The way I, I heard it, the way a I great heard it, podcast, he was talking yeah. to a
0: ghostwriter who said, "Plain words put in plain order will do the job just fine." And many people have this feeling that they need the writing has to be elevated somehow, and that's what he was trying to do to to make it more sophisticated. He was just messing it up.
1: We know that it's harder than you think to craft a simple message and strip away everything that's unnecessary. We've been writing these podcasts and the show notes and other things for our website, and it's really challenging. Sometimes I now I know that you help people that maybe I should get therapy from you.
0: <laughs> it was a challenge for me too, but it was more of a challenge for this young man. Besides struggling to use plain words in plain order, um, he was throwing in all these unnecessary words. I kept having to say to him, is that the way you would say it? So, while I knew we needed to work on writing, I also knew we needed to work on um, comprehension of what he was reading. So, I thought short stories. (laughs) We're going to use short stories because they can be read fairly quickly, but you've got the whole narrative arc there. And that's where I finally saw that a lot of his problems came from not understanding the setting.
1: Give me a definition of the setting because I think it's your... your Yeah,
0: it's more than time and place, which is what we kind of use for our younger clients. Okay. Just the time and the place. But as your text gets more sophisticated, here's a definition I love. Setting is an environment or surrounding in which an event or story takes place. Social conditions, historical time, geographical locations, weather, immediate surroundings, and timing are all different aspects of setting. So think of the screen crawl and the music in Star Wars. Right away, you have a lot of information about that setting. I mean, what do you get when you're sitting there and you watch that screen crawl And you hear that music.
1: Well, the very first thing, of course, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, that tells you that nothing of this is going to be familiar to you. You just have to completely suspend everything.
0: And what does the music communicate?
1: Uh, Yeah, and it's a very... Thematic, very dramatic, very martial. Yeah. This is going to be a war situation. Yes. You know, we've got a lot of conflict here, but we have very noble causes that are going to be underneath all this.
0: Yes. And even the bold text on the black screen mm-hmm. uh, indicates some of that drama, right? Exactly. So you know a whole lot right there. Authors- and it's
1: in space because it's <laughs> on a starfield background. Yeah.
0: Authors have to convey all that without music or lighting or movement or the visualization.
1: Oh, good point.
0: I discovered it's not so hard with literature aimed at the younger readers. I mean, like in the first Harry Potter book, it doesn't take much inferencing to understand that Harry is not happy at the Dursleys. He's not exactly abused, but he is neglected. His bedroom is in a cupboard under the stairs. Okay, so those initial setting ideas are a theme that's carried throughout all the books. You know, even when he gets to move out of the cupboard, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you still kind of know where that setting is at the Dursleys. But when the text is aimed at a higher level, more and more of that setting is implied. Social conditions are often implied. The mood of the story is almost, it's just implied through the vocabulary.
1: Right. So, Give me an example So, so yeah, that. here's a
0: couple of examples. So we were reading a story where there was a reference to someone wearing a Trilby hat. Okay, right away, that places the reader in the late 1800s, or early 1900s.
1: If you Probably know Probably in that. Britain. Yeah, if right. you know mm-hmm. that.
0: But his mind looked at that. He read it as tri-corner hat.
1: Which is a totally different era and location. That's yeah. Places is
0: a reader in late 1700s in colonial America. Right. He got so lost. He couldn't even figure out where the story was going because his mind saw that Trilby um, as tricorner and all of a sudden he was like trying to make all sorts of inferences.
1: Yeah. How would you pick that up if you didn't have that historical context? I, wow. I was As I was reading the show notes for this this morning, getting ready for this, I thought, how did I ever pick up on that? That context of when a a, a particular hat style would be, as opposed to a bowler hat, or well, you
0: see, there were other clues too. There were other clues at the beginning of that, but he was um, so focused on trying sometimes just to find one word that gave him the clue to everything that he could ignore other things. I mean, so good readers were taking all of the clues in, Mm. or almost all of them. We can we can miss a few, right? Right. But he was looking for the one key. The one. That's one. That's Mm. my key. It has to be the tricorner hat, and everything else just, you know, wasn't considered. Here's another example. So one of Ray Bradbury's stories, All Summer in a Day, takes place on Venus. Right. But he only mentions Venus once. And, and my client missed that one reference. Uh, and then that, he was struggling to understand the, the, the setting of the thing. story, which influences everything that happens.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: The Most Dangerous Game, great story, by the way, (laughs) for Mm -hmm. young adults, only mentions the word yacht one time in the first several lines. But all the rest of the language implies the characters are on a boat. From the very beginning of the story, there's talk about sailors, islands, etc. And the thing is, a competent reader would know the characters were on a boat before yacht was even mentioned. Right. So that word yacht is almost written as an afterthought. Listen to these beginning lines. And, And this is some dialogue from two characters. Off there to the right, somewhere, is a large island, said Whitney. It's rather a mystery. What island is it, Rainsford asked. The old charts call it Ship Trap Island, Whitney replied. A suggestive name, isn't it? Sailors have a curious dread of the place. I don't know why. Some superstition.
1: Wow, yeah. yeah you
0: already know where the characters yeah. are, right?
1: Exactly. You, you can't be looking at an island <laughs> if you're on land.
0: <laughs> and yacht comes in the next line. But if you're an experienced reader, you hardly need that. You already know where they are. Right. So he needed help figuring out settings. When you're reading stories like this, you can miss some details and still get the gist of a story, but you cannot miss these essential details. At the very beginning, that set the setting for you. And good readers seem to know what to pay attention to.
1: Is vocabulary affecting this? Is Just not knowing enough words?
0: Yes, that that played into it. Um, His vocabulary was low for words that tell you about mood. What kinds of words are ominous, give you an ominous feeling? What ones indicate that something is mischievous, that this is going to be a fun, light, mischievous story? What ones are cheerful? What ones are tragic? We worked a lot on taking setting words and categorizing them according to mood. (laughs) And by the way, his way of looking up words when he first came to me so inefficient, he would just Google the word, (laughs) and then he would just kind of read where it came up. Well, if you don't get a word from the context...
1: You're not going to get reading, context you're, you're, in other places. From a context
0: that's just even uh, oh. <laughs> not even related to what you're doing. So I showed him dictionary.com. He was like, wow, this is <laughs> this cool. This
1: exists. <laughs> and that's, that's actually kind of funny because mm. as I was reading through this, I actually had to look up about six of the words that you had in the show notes here to find out what they were. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you still have to do it, folks. Sorry. Keep, keep, yeah, and and keep he started up that doing dictionary it, dot com.
0: To his credit, <laughs> uh, he started looking up uh, words with using an online dictionary.
1: What else did you work on?
0: We worked on the themes of the story. We worked on the themes of the stories. And I call these the big ideas. That seemed to make more sense to him than theme. Uh-huh. Because they were hard for him to extrapolate or to pull from a story. We had to just keep working on them, and the key was to read lots of stories and get lots of practice, because big ideas, the themes are never stated outright.
1: How do you find a theme or a big idea? I mean, that's the whole point. I remember having to dig into this all through school, trying to, you know, getting lectured by the teachers. No, look deeper. What's the theme? I'm like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, well, that's a good question, and um, I eventually figured it out. You ask questions about their emotional reaction to the story. Did you like that character? Why? Why not? Did you think a certain thing was going to happen? Well, why? See, if you can answer that, then you can talk about foreshadowing. Or why uh, you liked a character, why you didn't like a character. Did you like Hawkeye? Going back to that Avengers, do you like Hawkeye, even though he was, seemed like a traitor? Right,
1: he traded? yeah.
0: But no, yes, you did. Well, why? Well, because you, know, you just start going from there. Well, why do you feel that way? About this story. Now why could my fifth grade
1: teacher <laughs> said that? Well,
0: here's another example from a story we read. He liked the Walter Mitty story,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so we got into, well, you know, what do you feel about Walter Mitty? Are you a little bit impatient with him? Yeah. Well, why? Eventually, that led to the theme that we're our own worst enemies. Oh. But do you still sympathize with Walter Mitty? Well, why? Well, that leads to the theme we can empathize with imperfect characters. Yeah. So you can get some deep stuff there.
1: I'd never thought of looking at theme that way. Cool. How did you help him develop this?
0: Well, we wrote in two different directions. He would write essays about the themes of the story, uh uh-huh. and and highlight the heck out of uh, these stories I would print off. So so a thing called close reading is when you say something about a story that you've read mm-hmm. or an article. Well, where's your text to support it? Find that. Get your highlighter and find those words that the author wrote that support what you have to say.
1: Oh, so you can start making those connections. So, and so uh-huh.
0: I mean, you're writing an essay. You have to have support while you say it, okay? Yeah. But the other thing is he started writing personal memories with huh. the, the theme he took from Alter Mitty. right? Like, we are our own worst enemies. Well, I'd ask him, well, has anything like that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced that? Well, write about it. And So, so he then would, come he up would
1: start taking some of those things that he was seeing in other people's writing and move and change and and, and incorporating it into his own.
0: Well, the themes.
1: At least that was the hope.
0: <laughs> I mean, themes are universal, right? So my AP English teacher called them universal ideas. These mm-hmm. themes, these big ideas, right? They apply to us universally. Everyone has been their own worst enemy at some time, right? right? Or or something like that. So.
1: So he can write about that.
0: Yeah. So it's like the story champs process on a very high level because with story champs, you take them through these little stories that they already have illustrated, and then you ask the kid, well, has anything ever happened to you? Right. And of course, they're telling a very simple story, but it's a personal connection.
1: Okay. But what about nonfiction writing and reading? Because that's very different.
0: Oh, and it's harder. Yeah. (laughs) Nonfiction is so much harder. Tried the Wall Street Journal first, that was too advanced for him. So I just started getting news articles off the internet that applied to his interest. And that actually would be a whole other podcast to talk about the nonfiction work we did. But I just want listeners to know, yeah, we didn't ignore nonfiction. But Mm
1: -hmm.
0: today, I'm just going to talk about
1: the fiction. Okay. (laughs) What were the results?
0: Well, there are four main things I want to talk about. He became so interested in language itself. There is a short story we were reading called The Open Window. Now, that was written in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The author has this really kind of delightful, little bit sarcastic tone to his writing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he says, these words, these words are more interesting than what we read nowadays. Which is actually true. And I said, well, you know what? You might like war letters. Do you remember the book War Letters? Oh, it's a
1: beautiful book. Yes. Yeah, his goal was to preserve these letters that people have, that they've passed down in their families From revolutionary time all the way through the Gulf War.
0: But what really we noticed as we were, because we listened to it on audiobook, is how the language changed. And we noticed how much more eloquent the language was, regardless of the education of the writer.
1: Yes, it was very The language was
0: more elegant um, the further back you went. Especially in the early 1900s and on, it was not as eloquent. um, Yeah. I said he might like war letters. Well, to my surprise, he ordered on Amazon. He came in the next time he said, "Man, I can't put this down. I'm staying up past midnight reading this."
1: <laughs> <He's> <laughs> That's a switch, probably.: perfect for, for him,
0: him, because kind of has a short attention span. Remember the ADHD, mm-hmm. plus the comprehension. You now, he's still working through all that. But each little chapter, kind of
1: Yeah, is, each, is, each is letter is...
0: Its letter is like his own chapter. All you have to do is read one letter. Right And you've got the whole story there. He was really getting into some of this. I mean, there is this one exchange of letters between a soldier and a young lady. He's after a young lady is not interested in the soldier. She's trying to nicely say, no, go away. And he was just dying. He says, oh, he's so stupid, man. He's so stupid. He doesn't get it. She doesn't want him. <laughs> you know, Totally, he related to that. And this was Civil War era. Uh-huh. So, he comprehended enough that he kept on going through the book, and he would highlight things he didn't understand. He'd bring the book to therapy and said, I didn't understand this.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was great.
0: He started to be able to extrapolate themes himself. Mm -hmm. Like I already said with Walter Mitty, you know, he figured that out. He was able to draw that theme himself out of the story. And this was so funny. When he would realize a main theme, he would get this amazed look on his face. He'd make a sound effect and go, mind-blowing, like,
1: Back to speaking his own yes. language. <laughs> mind-blowing.
0: Because <laughs> it was just such a revelation to him. He got really interested in thinking about themes, which relates to all of everyday life.
1: And once you start seeing those things, then you start to see them everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And just cool. the look on his face is priceless. Like, <laughs> wow, I can't believe that.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Here's another interesting thing that happened. So he did take a job in the computer industry, Right after he started it, he came to a therapy session, and he was so upset. He was so rattled, and he, he had these instructions of what he was supposed to do on the job. Mm-hmm. And he said, I I didn't know what to do, and I just read this, and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. So I want to step back a moment and just see if you remember a friend of ours who plays the piano very, very well. She told me, when I get nervous, the notes just float in front of my eyes and I can't really read them, you know. Just, right, the more
1: anxiety you get, the, the, the more things just slip away. That's the way it feels yeah. like to me. Things just go beyond mm-hmm. my grasp. I can't even just yeah. hang on to them. Well,
0: that was the kind of experience he was having, because he, yeah. he could read that level of text, those instructions. And I said, okay, get out your highlighter. Let's highlight exactly what step you were supposed to do first, what you're supposed to do next. Take away all that extraneous text. And he calmed right down after he had been working on that for about five minutes. It's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. That's
1: right. I can read this. I said, okay. friendly highlighter. <laughs> I said, keep that highlighter in your
0: truck, you know. <laughs> you can do this. But he, just, he was so rattled. Yeah. And it was just really disconcerting for him. The fourth thing I want to talk about, because remember, his goal at first was to prepare to go to college. Right. And he didn't do that at that time. And I did take a sample of his writing to my aunt, who teaches freshman English.
1: At a university. At a
0: university. Mm-hmm. And she said it was on level with other beginning freshman writing. So I was like, yay.
1: You're making progress. <laughs> making yes. progress.
0: But the thing was, and he admitted this himself, that he could dive into something really intensely for two or three weeks and then just totally drop it right. and then dive back in. I was like, you're going to have hey, a hard buddy. time getting <laughs> through college. <laughs> you know, I never said don't go to college. I just said you'd have to be more consistent if yeah. you really want to go to college. Mm-hmm. But you know, not everyone has to go to college. Right. You are where you are, and you can continue to learn. But what is really interesting, and I think maybe this is the best change, maybe better than going to college, his mother said that his brothers found him more interesting to talk to.
1: That's an interesting observation.
0: He's got ideas to talk about. He sees themes in things.
1: And he's going deeper. Going
0: deeper. So, better family relations?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, inter- those interpersonal relations are very important. Very important. Yeah. If the goal of college was gone, how did you decide that he was finished?
0: He started working and that was interfering with his ability to make it to therapy. Mm-hmm. So basically, that kind of ended it. But I prescribed a home program for him to continue learning. You know, at some point, you need to let go. And I thought, well, we've done a lot. You know, it's time for him to take some of this on himself, some of this responsibility.
1: And you saw that, that he was doing that already. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I said, you need to write in your journal every day, even Mm -hmm. if it's just a little bit, those personal experiences.
1: We all need to do that. (laughs) Yes.
0: You need to read and read and read every day.
1: We all Uh, need to do that. (laughs)
0: And I was just hoping he could find something as interesting as war letters to keep him going. And I said, you need to listen to some podcasts a couple times a week so you can absorb this high-level language. So I introduced him to Micro podcast the way I heard it. You know says a short says, uh, for the, the curious mind.
1: for the curious mind with a short attention span.
0: And that fit him to a T. <laughs> it
1: fits a lot of us to a T. And I think that's why it's so popular. Yeah.
0: I introduced him to some history podcasts. He loved history. My, and he's driving a lot for work anyway. I said, listen to these. Just absorb the language.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. Because there's so much you can do in the car with listening to things. That's a brilliant idea.
0: Not everyone has to go to college, as I already said, but everyone with the right tools can make learning life long. And he did email me later and said he was continuing to write personal stories.
1: Excellent. So of all the stories that you read with him, what was his favorite?
0: Oh, by far, it was the most dangerous game. That blew his mind in several directions, as it does most people who read it.
1: <laughs> it is a rather shocking story. <laughs> he just
0: loved it, the, the adventure and, oh, yeah. and the surprise. Yeah.
1: How did you choose the stories that you used?
0: Well, this is interesting. I was a nerdy young girl (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I was in junior high and high school. Just a total bookworm. My parents' anthologies of short stories. Uh There are college textbooks that were just collections of short stories. I read them (laughs) and read them and read them. We have several on the shelf now. And uh, my seventh grade social studies teacher, uh, Mr. Reeves, I still remember, he called me to his desk one day and said, here, I want to give you these. He gave me a collection of short stories, plays, poems, which I still have to this day. (laughs) I felt kind of invisible back then, Yeah, and he saw me. He saw something that would mean something to me. They were his, they were used, and so I devoured those, of course. So when it came time f- for short stories, and I wanted the older short stories because there's something about them, better written, yeah. <laughs> better vocabulary, more interesting, I don't know what it is, but well, yeah. I-, I had this whole repertoire in my mind yeah <laughs> and um they're, they're old enough to be out of copyright i could print them out without worrying about copyright we could highlight the heck out of them like i said and mm-hmm. i have a list of them in the free resource library in case anyone wants to use an approach like this because i come across some word that were duds right. like i thought the necklace that famous story about do you know the story of the necklace i don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway
1: but you went back and read it and- i went
0: back and read it and the whole it takes like a whole page to even get to any action. A whole page of very dense words about the setting. I thought
1: that's not gonna work not, for the it. It's not even working for me anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple stories like that you think are gonna be classic, and you're like, uh no, that doesn't work. So I do have them at slpproadvisor.com slash free. I have actually several freebies to go with this podcast. I've got the the list of short stories that I found to really work for mm-hmm. this approach. I've got a list of Mental verbs that are really high level and emotion words that are really those higher level vocabulary words
1: and the bingo games
0: and yes And I've got the um, mental verb bingo game.
1: This has been a fascinating one for me But the, I think the important thing to remember in this is to
0: when you master the simple The complex takes care of itself in this case mastering the simple Is figuring out? Oh, it's the setting not totally but by and large. It's the setting. That's the very first thing master that the rest of the story is going to make sense.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much for listening this week. We'll be back next week with another topic, so we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Mindful SLP. We invite you to sign up for our free resource library at slpproadvisor.com slash free. You'll get access to some of Denise's best tracking tools, mindfulness activities, and other great resources to take your therapy to the next level. All this is for free at slpproadvisor.com slash free. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and other podcast directories.